It's Sunday, October 27th. I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to The West Block. Canadians sent a clear message that they want uh, their parliamentarians to work on things like affordability and the fight against climate change. I'm looking forward to working together with other parties uh, and getting down to work. We made incredible gains last night. More party, more people voted for our party than, than ever before. Uh, we got a million more votes than we've ever had before. A million more people voted Conservative. Uh, we won the popular vote last night. We made gains in almost every part of the country. This is just the first step, and the work starts immediately. Proud of the campaign that we ran. Uh, there is still a strong foundation in Quebec. We're going to build on that. We're never going to give up. We're never going to give up on Quebec. You've just heard Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, official opposition leader Andrew Scheer, and NDP leader Jagmeet Singh on their plans to move forward following the election results last week. The Prime Minister will name his new cabinet next month on November 20th. But what lies ahead for Conservative leader Andrew Scheer? Well, he's vowing to stay on and fight Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in the next election. But what will he be fighting for until that happens? And will his party give him the chance to do that? I sat down with Andrew Scheer late last week. Here's what he had to say. Mr. Scheer, thank you for joining us. Thanks very much for having me. The last time we sat down and talked, we were out on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. You just released your platform. It was 10 days out from the election. And you told us, quote, I'm actually very pleased by our campaign. Mm -hmm. You didn't win. Mm -hmm. What happened? I am disappointed in the results. I expected to uh, do better. Uh, there are some reasons for optimism, uh, some, some improvements that we can point to to say that uh, uh, there, um, some important steps have been taken. Uh, but uh, we're going to conduct a thorough review of the campaign, all aspects of it, and, uh, and find out exactly where, where it is we need to do better. You ran against Justin Trudeau, a man who you branded as a liar, and as a hypocrite, a man who had a lot of unforced errors and self-inflicted mistakes. Why do you think you couldn't convince voters to cast their ballot for you instead of for him? Well, it was always going to be a difficult task to take a first-term majority government and win the next election. We got more votes, more seats. We're the only national party to have done that. And we look at the fact that Justin Trudeau was returned with the weakest mandate in Canadian history as reasons for encouragement. But you didn't get the seats where you needed them. You swept Alberta, you swept Saskatchewan, but you struggled around the GTA and the 905. The bloc took a lot of the seats that you'd hoped to get in Quebec. Why do you think that your message didn't resonate in those key areas that you can't win a federal election without? I think you're right to point to the, the rise of the bloc and the fact that Alberta and Saskatchewan completely rejected the Liberal message as something to be very concerned about. Uh, we have a more divided country. Do you think that was a mistake not to campaign with Doug Ford? Because he won a lot of the ridings that you lost and the Liberals took. Uh, Premier Ford made a decision to stay focused on provincial politics and he has a lot of work to do to clean up the Liberal mess, mess there. But senior members of the Ford team say that they, they weren't consulted, that you didn't engage them. And you can love or hate Ford Nation, but they know how to mobilize votes and as a result you didn't benefit from that ground game. We did make gains in Ontario, not enough, uh, but uh, there are some reasons uh, to be optimistic to, to look at this as, uh, as the first step towards uh, replacing the Liberals in the next election. The party scheduled to hold its convention in Toronto in April. Are you still planning for that to go ahead? 
uh, it's absolutely going to go ahead. It's, uh, this is something that is part of our party's democratic tradition, that uh, the leader is held accountable by the members, by national council, by, uh, by our caucus, and by the people, who our grassroots organization. So that That's includes it. the leadership review, your supportive of that? It's automatic. It's 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 in our party constitution. Have you talked to Mr. Harper since election day? Yeah, you know I've I, I have and I've reached out to many different uh, conservatives. I won't go into you know who all who I have and haven't been speaking with. What advice did Mr. Harper have for you? I won't go into a, a private conversation, uh, but look, I'm taking this very seriously. We had great people running for us in every part of this country, and uh, many of them were not elected, and uh, that's disappointing to me. I want to talk about the personal side because politics is inherently personal. You are out there as the leader. How did it feel on Monday night when you saw those results and you realized you did not win? Incredibly disappointing. But I am encouraged. You know, winning the most votes and, and seeing our seat total go up is encouraging. And the fact that uh, uh, there are a lot of building blocks there that we can build on is also encouraging. But it is difficult. It's, it's always difficult to fall short of, uh, of goals that we've set ourselves. And, um, but, uh, you know, there's no one more disappointed than me in the results of the, the, the campaign. But there's no one more eager to get it right and to fix the issues that didn't work this time. Do you believe that someone who holds the kind of social conservative values you do can win in Canada today? What's important for me and what was important for me during the campaign was to assure Canadians that uh, on, on social issues that divide Canadians, that divide conservatives, we, we're not going to reopen old debates and we were not going to uh, further divide uh, Canadians on those issues. So um, I do believe that Canada is a place that uh, respects people who hold different points of view. Certainly our party does. We're the only party that does. And, uh, and I believe that Canadians want to live in a country where you can have a disagreement on an issue without calling someone un-Canadian, as, as the Liberals did. Would you reconsider marching in a gay pride parade you next know, year? Is, is that a possibility? No, I, I, I made it clear that uh, I will choose other ways to show my support for the LGBT community. So no. I'll continue. Uh, I, I, I won't march in parades, but I will uh, ensure that our party is, is inclusive and, and open and that we fight for equality rights of all Canadians and that we, uh, we hold the government to account for not doing more, uh, for example, to help uh, uh, people who are persecuted for their sexual orientation coming to Canada. Was it a mistake not to be more aggressive on climate change? We do have an aggressive plan. There already is a party for those who think that you can solve problems with new taxes. That's the Liberal Party. So we're, we're not that carbon party. tax is definitely is it, still up. I've never known a new tax to solve a problem. Well, there, there are economists who say it's very effective, but let's focus on Alberta and Saskatchewan. Wexit, this Western Brexit, as it were, the, the growing sentiment that's out there, and I'm from Alberta, um, and I got a lot of very upset texts on election night from people out there who feel that they're not included, that they're not represented, that their voices aren't at the table. The politics there are very volatile right now. What do you say as a national leader to people in Alberta and Saskatchewan who feel that they don't have a place in the Federation? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, I, my message to people in Alberta and Saskatchewan is I completely understand uh, what they're going through. Uh, I live in Regina. I've got friends and, and, and neighbors who have been uh, aff affected by the downturn. Uh, there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of fear, and 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 they are justified in having in in, in those feelings because they've seen entire communities. Um, 
significantly affected by not just not just a downturn. And this is something I take issue with uh, with Mr. Trudeau. You know, he he's trying to paint this as some kind of global phenomenon that that there's somehow a, a global issue that's affecting Alberta. We've seen increases in investments in the oil and gas sector in other countries who do not kill pipeline projects, who do not insert, uh, impose legislation designed to entirely uh, suffocate and, and, and kill off an entire sector of our economy. Uh, this is not uh, something that other countries are going through, uh, all of us together. This is something that's happening in Canada, in our energy sector, because of deliberate decisions that this Liberal government have taken. And, uh, and we're going to fight we're going to fight for them. We're going to fight against those decisions. We're going to do everything we can to, 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 to force the Liberals to change course on that. Do you agree with Premier Moe's assertion that it's time to take a look at equalization, that it's time for a new deal because the current formula isn't working? I've always b believed that uh, Western Premiers were, were right to have frustrations about the equalization formula. During the campaign, I noted that uh, the Liberals had locked in the formula for five years, and, uh, and, and they did that without consultation. I've said that some of the things that we can address in the early days are the lag between real-time economic data and what equalization payments actually uh, turn out to be. I believe we can shorten that so that uh, the, the, the economic downturns can be factored into um, those, those calculations much more quickly. That would be more responsive to the needs of provinces like Alberta and Saskatchewan. Mr. Scheer, I know it's not an easy thing to sit down and do an interview like this after you've lost. So thank you for taking the time to share with us and to share with Canadians. Thank you very much. Working together, that's what Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says Canadians expect of their MPs. But without a single MP from Alberta or Saskatchewan and facing a reinvigorated Bloc Québécois plus a minority mandate, finding harmony in the House will be easier said than done for the Liberals. Joining me now to talk about this is Carla Qualtro, the current Liberal Minister of Public Services and Procurement. I guess we'll find out, Minister, uh, if you <laughs> remain in that role. Thank you for joining us today. Congratulations on your win. Thank you very much, and thanks for having me. Uh, obviously, the House has to find a new tone going forward. Harmony has not always been Justin Trudeau's strength with the opposition. Do you think that the Liberals can adopt a new tone? Well, first of all, I absolutely do think that we are doubling down on our commitment to do right by Canadians after this Monday's election. You know, when we say we want to make life better for everyone, when we say we want to make sure everyone has an equal chance to succeed, that includes every single Canadian in every single province and territory in this country. Do you have a sense, Minister, of when the House might return? I actually don't have a sense, but I have heard from the Prime Minister, and, and as you all have, that he's taking the time to reflect on the message sent by Canadians on Monday to make sure that we have a cabinet and a government that is reflective of everyone in this country. And speaking of being reflective, one of the challenges is dealing with the situation you have with Alberta and Saskatchewan. Not a single member yeah. of Parliament elected there. How will those prairie provinces have their voice heard in Cabinet? You know, I think we're well aware of the challenge that this faces, uh, per, even if it's just a perception that they don't, they don't have a voice. I mean, from my perspective as a Western MP and as a Western Cabinet Minister, I've always considered um, myself responsible to make sure that not only my city and my region is reflected, but the entire Western Canadian um, demographic is reflected in my perspectives. 
but that's two entire provinces who yeah. don't have representation in the cabinet who would want to have somebody actually from mm. their province uh, providing their voice. What are the options that your government's looking at in terms of finding a way to give those provinces a voice? Well, you know, I think that question is obviously best put to the Prime Minister directly, but I can tell you that nothing is off the table in terms of his reflections and what, what creative solutions might be available to us as a government to make sure that the voices of Alberta and Saskatchewan are directly reflected in Cabinet, but certainly that's his prerogative, um, and I'll support any direction he goes he goes in. But, but for me, I just want everyone to know that we know this. As Western Canadian MPs and Cabinet Ministers, we definitely need to make sure we're the voice of Western Canada. Wexit is one of the issues that was trending not only in Twitter but across Alberta in real life this week. People talking about whether or not separation is an option. Do you think that that movement and that frustration is real? I think the frustration is real. I'm not sure the movement itself will take any kind of real hold. But I think the message underlying it is that clearly Albertans and people from Saskatchewan didn't see themselves in our vision for Canada moving forward. And now it's up to us as a government to make sure that we include everyone, but that people feel included as well. And certainly from British Columbia here, we don't have the exact same perspective as Alberta and Saskatchewan on um, not feeling heard or included, but we definitely need to make sure that everybody's included. One of the suggestions that's been put out there was from Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe. He says it's time for a new deal for the Federation. It's time to take another look at equalization because it's unfair to provinces like Alberta. Is the possibility of changing the equalization formula something your government would consider? Well, as I said, you know, my understanding is nothing is off the table, Mercedes. So um, the Prime Minister and the Finance Minister moving forward will have to have those conversations with provinces. We want to make sure that everybody is treated equally and fairly. And if people aren't feeling that they're being treated that way, then of course we have to have these really important conversations. Let's talk about how you get through this parliament. Obviously, in a minority situation, you have to rely on other parties to support you on particular votes. The NDP and the Bloc, two of those key parties that will be involved, likely, and... Uh, in particular in the NDP's case, they're looking at some pretty big spending items and environment items that they want to see your government act on. Are you confident you'll be able to keep your promise to Canadians about how deeply into deficit this government will go when you may have to consider things like pharmacare now that are very expensive? Yeah. I mean, definitely the plan as we laid it out is is our preferred way forward for Canada. But of course, we have to partner with the other parties on big issues. Now, the, the reality is, is that two thirds of the country wanted a progressive um, government, wanted a, a party to move forward on these social, very important social issues. And there's a lot of common ground in our platforms with the NDP, with the Greens and with the Bloc. So I think we'll be able to do it, Mercedes, but it will all be about relationships and trust and compromise. What do you think the financial wiggle room is there in terms of how much more debt your government will be considering taking on in order to stay in power and to put through some of these social programs that the NDP or others might like to see? Yeah, I don't know the answer. I apologize. I think that, you know, I'm not in the best position to give those numbers. It's really early days. People are still um, working through all the different options at our disposal. People are still figuring out the math of all of this. So I think it's too early to speculate, but I do absolutely hear what you're saying. Uh, one quick last question, Minister Qualtrill. Do you know if you'll be staying in your role? In my role or in cabinet, I don't. I obviously we <laughs> <Both>. all, <laughs> obviously we all serve at the pleasure, and uh, certainly I hope to still remain at the cabinet table. And I have no idea what the future holds for me in terms of a portfolio. Um, I'll do whatever the prime minister asks of me, and I'll do it to the very best of my possibility. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. 
Surviving the coming months will take skill and strategy and negotiation for both the Liberal government and the opposition. How can they pull it off? Joining me now to dissect all of this is Susan Delacorte, who is the Ottawa bureau chief for the Toronto Star, and Joel Denis Bellevance, who is the Ottawa bureau chief for La Presse. Uh, Susan, obviously some tough times ahead for Andrew Scheer in particular. His leadership facing a lot of questions inside the Conservative Party. Do you think that he can survive? Oh, big question. <clears throat> uh, I, I noted with interest how Stephen Harper was trying to calm people down this week. That was the word that, uh, which tells you that things are not calm. Uh, when if the uh, the eminence grise of the party has to come out and say, settle it down. I don't know. Um, I think there's. We were hearing a lot of discontent about Andrew Scheer before uh, the election. Uh, that. A lot of conservatives grumble a lot, as we know, as all parties do. Um, but we were hearing a lot of discontent about uh, the failure to catch on in Ontario and Quebec. And I think with the election results, that's starkly divided between, you know, strength out west, no strength, <clears throat> not enough strength in Ontario and Quebec. I think people are, I, I, I would imagine a lot of phone calls are taking place. Uh, we know, certainly, I've, I've heard from uh, Tory sources, lots of phone calls taking place, including, in some cases, J.D. phone calls to people who might be the next leader, not just Peter McKay, but some people who are currently sitting inside caucus. Is this the typical grumbling, we need a messianic leader, they could turn everything around that we hear whenever a party loses? Or do you think that some of these leadership bids might actually be real and starting to organize? I think it's real because a lot of people are asking the following questions. Is the image that Mr. Scheer built during this campaign done? Is it uh, repairable? Can you repair, fix his image? Uh, among Quebec voters and Ontario voters. And a lot of people are coming to the following conclusion. The answer is no. So that means that if you can't rebuild this image, make it more sellable to those voters in Ontario and Quebec, you may have to change the messenger. And that, I think a lot of people are asking that questions. And the answer will come in April when the Tory uh, hold their next convention, where the leadership will be put to uh, the members of the party. Yeah, clearly Andrew Scheer thinks he, Andrew Scheer can survive. I was, uh, I was very intrigued by all the tones of the speeches on election night, um, but his reference to 2004, which was, and, and 2004, for people who have forgotten, Stephen Harper had just become leader. It was his first try, um, and he managed to use that as stage one and 2005-06 election as the uh, so I think Andrew Scheer is comforting himself with that idea that this is really a two-election process and that um, he's going to get even more than, than he had before. The problem is, is that um, some people would say that it, that sort of follows the path of the five stages of grief more than you know, <laughs> denial, uh, bargaining, depression, finally acceptance. So. Um, I think it, I'd love to be a fly on the wall of Conservative Caucus when it first meets because we are hearing it outside. I'm sure mm. there's stuff going on inside. Wouldn't we? Well, one of the ones that uh, certainly we in the Anglo media 
don't have as much of a fly on the wall status, finger on our pulse as the Bloc Québécois, mm. but JD, you do. <laughs> this totally changes the face of Parliament. There's a lot of Canadians who are having to re-remember the time when the Bloc was the official opposition, when the Bloc had serious sway. We're now back to that. What are their priorities as they come into Parliament with what they're going to push to have done? Well, the dynamics will change in the House of Commons during question periods because you'll have more questions asked about Ottawa-Quebec relations asked by the Bloc Québécois. So it, the dynamics will be different. And that means that the, the Liberal Party, the Liberal government, will have to adjust to that. So that's a, one, one critical thing. The Bloc Québécois did not campaign on making Quebec an independent country. So that means that it does not have a mandate, and they admit that, that this is going to be the next step. The next step will be to help the Parti Québécois, that is in the National Assembly, regain some momentum. Right now it is sitting in third place, uh, if, if not fourth place in Quebec. So it's not a major uh, uh, figure in politics in Quebec. But the Bloc Québécois' main mandate is to advance Quebec's interests. And interestingly enough, the Quebec Premier, you know, who saw the gains of the Bloc Québécois, is trying to put a break on it right now. Uh, the Bloc Québécois leader, François Blanchet, wanted to meet the Premier of Quebec City, uh, Quebec, uh, this week. The Premier refused. His first priority is to meet Justin Trudeau first. So already the Bloc Québécois is, you know, being put back in its place. You're not going to speak for the whole of Quebec. I am the Premier of Quebec. So that's, I think, reassuring. And I don't think that the Bloc Québécois will uh, manage to rekindle, if you may say, the uh, Quebec-Ottawa uh, separatist movement uh, uh, debate. This is, I think, done for most people. It's there to uh, represent the new kind of nationalism that uh, François Legault is, is embodying right now. Uh, maybe they can give the West some advice on how to... Uh... <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to ask you about, Susan, because you do have the situation, which we've been talking about on the show, that Alberta and Saskatchewan do not have a single elected mm -hmm. Liberal MP. How does this government convince them their voice is being heard when there's no one in Cabinet, logically, at this point? How do you deal with that? Well, first of all, I think we should remember, I, I, it may change a bit how Trudeau's government worked. It was, an, it, it was a bit Cabinet government, but it was very PMO mm -hmm. government. That's true. So, um, so I think... Um, what you're going to see is them bringing in some strong voices from the West into the Prime Minister's office. I think, I don't know how that's, I'm, I'm not speaking from any inside knowledge here. Um, I, I just think that there will be calls to increase the visibility and the, uh, the heft of Alberta and Saskatchewan advisors inside the Prime Minister's office. That will help. It doesn't solve the cabinet problem, mm. but but the staffing of the prime minister's office is going to be key in the net. I think that's why they've taken four weeks off, as opposed to two. Mm. That uh, it was two weeks last time between yeah. election and swearing in. It's four now, and I think that's because we're going to see some big changes. We just have a few seconds left, but before we go, um, do you think Justin Trudeau can play well with others in a minority parliament? Because it's not been his strong point in the past. I know, and you'll have to, otherwise this government will not survive very long. I mean, there's the dynamics of the campaign cannot continue in parliament, otherwise this place will explode. Yeah, I, he's, he, there's a lot of things. He is a learner. Uh, he's just going to be learning it on the job. Okay. Really quickly. <laughs> really quickly. And with that, we're out of time. Also, really quickly, thank you very much to our journalists for joining us. Thank you. That's all the time we have for today. For our full interview with the official opposition leader, Andrew Scheer, please go to our website, thewestblock.ca. And before we go today, we'd like to reach out and wish Cabinet Minister Jim Carr and his family all the best as he battles cancer after his diagnosis last week. For the West Block, I'm Mercedes Stevenson.